Boom. Hello and welcome to the Protector Nation podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to making the world a better place, making the world a safer place by making good people dangerous. In this podcast, we're going to study and understand what it takes to protect, to protect your family, to protect your loved ones, because we all know that you have a few basic needs, food, water, and shelter, but you also have the need to protect those things in a world and society where evil runs rampant and is sometimes left unchecked. Learning how to protect yourselves and your loved ones is becoming more and more important. And so we strive to raise the level of accountability to those who would do evil on this planet by making sure that the sheep, that the flock, is more well-versed in protecting themselves and their loved ones. If that sounds interesting to you, then sit back and enjoy the show. Out. Boom, what's up you guys? Byron Rogers coming at you with another podcast for the Protector Podcast. And I'm excited today to have with me Joanna from Vogue Defense. How are you doing? Good, how are you, friend? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take over the world, you know? So I'm, I'm doing all right. You are taking over the world. You are one PlayStation game at a time. Yeah, exactly, it's right? Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, I'm still in shock about that. Um, but it's exciting to have you here. I'm always looking for people and, 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 you know, I have five sisters and, you know, my wife and a daughter and like these women in my family that are important to me. So I'm always trying to learn more about, you know, bringing women into this space and like, uh, I mean, I hate to use the word like empowering women, but like, I want them to feel, you know, empowered and I want that efficacy and ability, you know, to be there because I mean, it's probably people don't organically hunt me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not necessarily. So yeah. it's an honor to have you here and it's an honor to sh share this time with you and um, really um, expose you to the people that I'm associated with. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm excited. Awesome. Excited to get into it. Yeah. That's what's up. So let's jump right into it. Um, before I ask you my opening question, which is one of my favorite, why don't you just run down uh, kind of your background, what you're about, where you're from, all that fun stuff uh, sure. to everyone listening. Sure. Yeah. Um, so ironically enough, my background is fashion. It's fashion yes. and business. All right. So that's <laughs> what I did my entire career. Um, I, uh, I grew up in, in the Midwest and in the Midwest, you are firing a gun by the age of 11 or 12. Um, yes. as an adult, I have always, because of my career, I was lived in big cities. I actually lived in Australia for work, um, when I was a director for Gucci and I, um, in Australia, they banned firearms, you know, they bought them back. They banned like, they banned like everything, didn't they? Like, well, I remember buddies talking about like having screwdrivers in their car and having to like have nails and like, yeah, like, like you can't, or maybe it was Britain, but it was like, you can't even have tools yeah. that could be used as weapons. Otherwise, you know, you have to have an alibi almost. I don't think it was like that in Australia. I don't know. I didn't have all kinds at that yeah. moment, at that time in my life, I still honestly never really stupidly enough, felt the need to have a self-defense tool. And the right. longer that I spent in, in larger cities, I kind of just thought maybe guns were the problem. And so I, I never wanted to own one. Not necessarily that I was against the Second Amendment, but I, I did think that there needed to be more restrictions and all those things. And I just didn't want to own one personally. Yeah. And then um, four years ago, something very traumatic happens in my life. And Wow. It changed my mind immediately overnight. And so that's how I got into the firearm industry. And now I'm a firearm instructor. Um, I do interviews like this. 
I do seminars. I really, really like to do seminars and things like that because it gets me in front of a large audience of people. And when people leave, I have so many women and men come up to me and say, wow, I didn't even know if I ever wanted to own a gun ever. Yeah. I just thought maybe possibly. And now <laughs> that's my next purchase. And, and I'm going to yeah. get some, some extensive training as well. So, so that's why I do what I do now. That's a little bit of my backstory. Awesome. That's very interesting. You're talking about uh, kind of the psychology behind people not feeling like they need a weapon system of any type. Um, and it's something that I try to fight uh, because like I said, you know, I, you can tell, I can tell my sister all day long, Hey, you need to protect yourself. Hey, you need to be aware. Hey, situational awareness. And one of the things I've purposed to do with my brand. And as you follow me, you'll see more and more of it is introduce the public to real world combat. So you'll mm -hmm. see these little like combat engagements happening on my page. And sometimes they're brutal, but I'm trying to like slowly, uh, kind of drip this like microdose trauma to people. So the next time they're in their car, they're like, you know what? I saw that weird video that Byron posted and I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I need, I need to get this car moving, you know? Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Are there just off of what you said, are there other ways to kind of help people who have maybe no concept appreciation or just no uh, realistic uh, experiential information that would cause them to feel like they need to value protection? How can I help someone cross that bridge? So I'm not like the nagging dad mm -hmm. that's like, Hey, you know, pay attention. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Right. We're dead. I think stories are very important, to be honest. I think real life stories of people like myself who've actually been through it, especially right. considering that I never wanted to own a firearm. And I was one of those people who thought that's what 911 is for, which is great. I mean, police should be our first responders, but you have to understand you may not have the opportunity to get your phone and call 911. And so you really are your first line of defense. And at the same time, police have a large job to do. So they're not right down the street, just waiting on your phone call. There's a response yeah. time. Um, when I, when I was able to escape my situation, which took seven hours, it took me seven hours to escape from my house. And I got to a gas station where I borrowed their phone to dial 911. Um, I had to repeat my address four times to the 911 operator. And I'm not blaming him. I was in a situation like that. You are, the physiological things that are happening inside of you is just out of your control. Yeah. I'm a city girl. I'm a fast talker as it is. And in that moment with mm -hmm. my adrenaline running the way it was, the poor guy could not understand what I was saying. And he kept transposing my house number. And so it's interesting after something like that, the things that haunt you, it's not mm -hmm. what people would assume. It's not. It's really, it's mm -hmm. not that physical attack. Those things, although a very long one, you can get past. Um, it's those other things, those, those, those things that you had as senses of security and safety prior to that. Yeah. And then you realize afterwards that that's not how it goes down. And it's not that easy. And I mean, I look back and I thank God that I didn't go for my phone. My attacker threatens me. I could see it at the corner of my eye on my nightstand. And he threatened me. And he said, if you go for your phone, I'll kill you all the things. And I look back and I think I'm so glad I never did because, you know, they didn't answer on the first, on the first ring. It took me four 
four times repeating my address for them to get it right. And then there's a response time to get there. And so those are some of the things that really horrified me afterwards. And and that's what got me into realizing I have to not only you know, purchase the self-defense tools, but get into very, very extensive firearm training and defensive Mm -hmm. training. You know, it's a lot more important than just going to a range and hitting a paper target. You really got to learn how to defensively shoot to save your life. And like you mentioned earlier with your sisters and and all the women that you care about, situational awareness, Mm -hmm. um, I teach that a lot because if if I can teach people how to avoid or have enough time to escape a situation, they don't even have to defend themselves in that. That's my that's my objective. You know, it's, it's the last resort of, okay, Hey, shoot, I got to use this firearm now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I mean, it's, it's what we're, we're harping on mm-hmm. in this space because it's so important, but you bring out like a fresh experience and another perspective to it, you know, rather than the usual, like combat dude experience kind of perspective, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and it's beautiful that you have experienced both sides of it, the false sense of security that so many live under and that they uh, they want the rest of us to believe in, but we know Santa Claus doesn't exist, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, after you've been through it. It's, at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to, and, and, I, and I'm lucky that I get to have these kind of intimate conversations with people about it because it's not something mm-hmm. that you could ever picture or imagine, I mean, going through it right. and what you do for a living, you understand this and having served in the military, mm-hmm. you understand this. But if you've never right. been in that situation where your life is on the line and you have to make very, very fast split second, you know, life-saving Important decisions. decisions. <laughs> yeah. If you've never been in that, which thank goodness most people haven't, you'll mm-hmm. never understand it unless somebody can tell you their story in a very descriptive way. And, you know, yeah. you still aren't going to get fully get it the way that I do. Right. But I hope that you can appreciate it enough to where you're willing to now go seek the training that you need to have. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Now, this Vogue tactical concept I think is fantastic so you know I'm big on like I'm a marine so I love my tactical mm-hmm. stuff I love my tactical companies you know uh I you have a hard time finding me in some cargo pants but you know like I but I still live in <laughs> I live in this world where like I have to be able to walk around with millionaires and billionaires and mm-hmm. acting singing talent pop stars and 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 these people on this level so I can't look like a dude at the range you know, but I still, so I have to walk this kind of, I have to be fashionable, but I've got to be tactical at the same time. Right. And so when I see this name Vogue Tactical, I'm just like, this is ridiculously cool because you'll catch me with like a Calvin Klein shirt on and some like low key 511, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like they're kind of golfer looking pants, you know? Um, So break that down a little bit for us. What's that about? It's Vogue Defense. He's always going to get Vogue this defense, wrong, by the way. Vogue Defense. It's in my eye. I, I'm going to change it up. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But that's basically what it is. It's, it's simply, like I said, I came from a fashion background. And yeah. so obviously that's where Vogue comes from. Defense is because, you know, you could say tactical. You could use a lot of other names. For me, however, mm-hmm. ha- after having been through that, Defense is the first word that always comes to my mind. You know, we have to learn how to defense, defensively shoot. We have to learn how to defend ourselves and the lives of those that we love. So for me, 
defense is just the word, you know, that's how I, that's how I always think of it when I'm training people. And, um, and the reason why it's Vogue defense is because part of the reason why I didn't, I never had a firearm prior to it. It wasn't just that I thought maybe they're part of the problem. I felt like it never fit me. Does that make sense? Like it didn't suit me. Um, I almost felt like, you know, you see, and I'm not trying to give a blanket statement. I'm just saying that sometimes yeah. there's a particular image that you see associated with firearms. Or when you go in a range, maybe, I'm just making up a number here, but maybe 70% of the people all look and dress a certain way. And I just the felt like I- around it. Yeah, I just felt like I didn't fit into it. And, um, and so that's why I also really, really love what I do. And I hope that mm-hmm. people who hear me speak or follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever it is, that they understand that you are, I want you to always feel comfortable when you are on one of my sites or my page, because I don't care, you know, I don't care what you look like. I don't care your skin color. I don't care your sexual orientation. I don't care what your style is. I don't care any of that. Like we are all deserving of, you know, making it a priority to go out and purchase the tools and, and seek this training and all of that to learn the skills to defend ourselves. All of us are, you know, and especially as women, we may feel uncomfortable in that world, but we are even more vulnerable, you know, in a lot of ways than what men are. So, I mean, it's not just the middle-aged man who, you know, should be into firearms. It should be all of us that need to, you know, especially us who maybe feel sometimes more at risk, you know, we're worth protecting and we're worth feeling confident enough to feel, to walk into a place where guess what? You're going to be welcomed. I'm Mm. telling you, this industry is amazing. And I have met some of the best people working in the line of work that I do. And it's one of those things where, you know, when people see you walk in and asking for training and they Mm. see that you're a new shooter and they see you're wanting to learn more, they really do embrace that. You know, it's something where it's a preconceived notion in our mind. I'm going to feel uncomfortable in there, or I'm going to feel like I've got to dress a certain way, you know, go back to, you know, cargo pants or whatever it is. And you don't have to, people are very embracing in the fire ministry. And they, for me as an instructor as well, like the more people I instruct, I feel even safer. You know what I'm saying? Cause that's yeah. one more responsibly armed American that we have out there. That's looking out for all of us. And so I just want people to realize you're always welcome, you know, in in my page and on my sites and all of that. Mm. But I want people to understand as well that from my experience, you're welcome in the industry and you're welcome in every range and every instructor's class. You know, they're really going to be very supportive of your journey. That's extremely important. That's such a good message to get out there because there is that anxiety even amongst shooters there's that anxiety sometimes <laughs> you know god bless them but uh yeah no that i'm really glad you said that i didn't even think about uh the frame on that what um and i you know you're well spoken you're extremely intelligent and i am not gonna let you off the hook that easily didn't you do something in harvard somewhere was there some harvardness in there somewhere <laughs> um so I worked, like you know, in, in luxury uh, for years. And then when yes. I moved, when I when I moved back to the United States from Australia, I moved to Houston, and I was still working in luxury. Um, I did a lot of traveling to New York and um, and Beverly Hills with my role in um, in Houston. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I wanted to start doing a lot more volunteer work. So on the side. Yeah. Um, I became a guardian at Leiden for children in foster care. Um, sadly, Houston has 
more kids in, in foster care than any other city in the U.S. Really? And so they would take, yeah, they take the worst cases and they assign a guardian at litem to make sure that the child doesn't fall through the cracks. And then I did some human trafficking volunteering and things like that because unfortunately it's a big hub. Um, it's, a lot of cities are these days. It's not just yeah. Houston. Um, and so I just... In doing that volunteer work, I realized I wanted to get into another another career path, and I wasn't sure what. I knew what I was interested in, and so I did a lot of research, and Harvard has an amazing program that you can do with the majority of it at a distance. There are some things you have to fly to Boston for and do, but it's graduate-level coursework, and so I, um, I studied international security there, and yeah, that's, that's what I did, and then... <clears throat> Timing-wise, so this attack that occurred on me, which we haven't really gotten into, um, somebody came into my home almost, almost four years ago, and uh, it was around lunchtime during the day, and they attacked, they attacked me for seven hours. And that was uh, just a few months before I first started at Harvard. So that was really hard. I mean, to be going yeah. through that and then you're starting the court <laughs> proceedings. I think I, I flew up to Boston and got registered and all of that stuff, and then I came back. And it was like my very first court date was within a few days after I flew back. Um, so that was wow. difficult. And it took me a couple of years to figure out what I wanted to do because I was still going through the court proceedings. I was still healing from the trauma. I was going yeah. to therapy. I was going to therapy for, sure. for it. And, and at that time after it happened, a lot of people, because they knew, people who knew me well, knew how much I loved to volunteer and work in that segment anyway. And yeah. they said, you know, Joanna, you've, you've got to use what you went through and do something with yeah. it. And I appreciated, I appreciated, you know, their, their message, but I wasn't ready for it. Um, it was still way too raw, right? Way too fresh. Yeah. It would have brought in too much back. And so, um, it just happened. The timing worked out that when I was really ready to get out of the house and felt safe to get out of the house. Yeah. So I traded, I traded stocks at home for years after that, um, because I just yeah. felt, I just felt safer that way. And when I was ready to get out, it's, it's just everything kind of came into place and everything clicked. And I went and got certified to be a firearm instructor and um, started going around and doing seminars. And it's been great. I absolutely love it. And, and the timing is perfect. You know, I just, I needed yeah. enough time uh, to make it to where I could be very, very effective in what I do. Yeah, no, it's extremely important, especially with trauma to take the time to heal. You know, it's a mistake I made after coming back from Iraq twice to just be like, I'm good. You know, dudes are, <laughs> I'm good. I'm all right. You know, and I struggled for a while with just not realizing that I was addicted to the dopamine of all the things that we would do over there um, and survived it by the grace of God. But I really, I just want to commend you for coming through your situation and being well adjusted and being strong enough to get in front of people and talk about it and use it. It is true. And I'm sure as you know, already, it's like, it gives you um, an authority around certain things. Having been through things gives you an authority around things that other people don't have, you know, so yeah. the world needs that. And I would say, I would say if anybody has gone through something to listen to those around you, like you mm -hmm. said, you came back, it was the same thing for me. I thought, wow, I'm, you know, I knew that I really struggled the first, obviously a few weeks afterwards, but I thought, Hey, yeah. you know, I'm in school now. I'm, I'm doing yeah. great. I'm strong. And you know, as, as a lot of people have, I've been through my fair share of things of tough things in life been and, and yeah. yeah, for sure. And so I got this. And it was actually the assistant district attorney on the case who called me out. So wow. um, 
they were going to drop a specific charge to make a deal. And I lost my mind on it. And it was something where I didn't start crying. I didn't feel I was putting out any emotional, you know, anything out there that would make her be concerned, but it was just the the words that I used and the words that I used to her I said to her, I understand that as a much lesser charge and sentence compared to what he is facing and the felony charges. But for me, that's been the hardest thing that I get, I can't get over. And that's what I have nightmares about every single night. And she looked at me and she said, Joanna, you need to go talk to somebody. You've got PTSD. And I was like, Oh, no, I don't. What are you talking about? You know, I'm fine. I'm in school. I'm writing a 4.0 right now. I'm good. And so she recommended somebody who specializes in EMDR therapy, which is very effective for PTSD. Yes. So I went for my first visit, which as you probably know, if you've ever done anything like this, they do an assessment. Yeah. And so I was thinking, I was just nailing this assessment, right? And I was like, okay, there's probably a few, few areas of concern. And when the assessment finished, she was like, oh, you've got it across the board in every area, you know? And it's just sometimes, like you said, you're just so focused on powering through. Right. And then it's good to to listen to people around you, though, because if I continued to do that and let that build up, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like, because eventually it's going to come crashing down, right? Yeah, the the boogeyman, like that, that the Earl Burroughs chaos <laughs> the seven headed dragon shows it's, up and he's full grown by that time. Yeah. So kill, kill it yeah. while it's a baby, you know what I'm saying? And, and get the yes. therapy you need and don't you be don't ashamed, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's, we're all human. So yeah. Awesome. Now, well, that was like a little journey in and of itself. Um, who are you at your core, Joanna? Oh, goodness. That's a deep question, Byron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. Well, you're (laughs) going to get into it here. small talk around here, you know. No, we're not. Okay. Um, Wow, that's deep. So I would say probably because I have been through my fair share of things in life, um, I am naturally a very empathetic person. Very Mm. empathetic. I... uh, who I like to be. And and I think what has gotten me through life and, and kind of always put me in good places is I'm definitely somebody who I always move forward. Um, I'm very patient with myself and what I'm going through. I'm very forgiving of myself knowing, Hey, you just went through something. You're going through a tough time, but I don't, I don't wallow in that. Does that make sense? Like I, 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 I give myself the freedom to go through it, but then I'm always trying to move forward. I'm always trying to take something from what I went through and make it meaningful. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, I always try to use things in a way to help others. And like I said, I just think I'm naturally just a very compassionate person. I've always been somebody I try not to say I'm always successful, but I do my best to put myself in somebody else's shoes. You know, whether if it's somebody who's, you know, just being a jerk for no reason in public or whether it's somebody who's been through something very traumatic, like a human trafficking victim, whatever it is, you know, really try to come from a place of empathy because I think that that's the first step. And then you can listen and you can try and understand where this person is coming from who has different life experiences than you do. And I think right. that that creates a lot of growth, which is, in my opinion, the only way forward in life, especially the only way forward in what we have gone through if we have gone through traumatic things. Yes. So you're an empathetic person. You like to see and experience other people's worlds and then 
mm-hmm. learn and grow. That's awesome. Uh, that's very awesome. I, I always generally people are, I usually get a lot of people that are about empowerment. Um, but I don't think I've had anyone just simply say that they're actually a very empathetic person. So that's, that's, you know, that's first. <laughs> and that's something I think uh, is really important because I think we're strong people uh, for a reason, you know, and I think empathy is like where that reason starts. Cause like you said, it's like the only way to build a bridge. Uh, and, and I feel like so many people become powerful or strong or effective and they, uh, they forget that there was a time when they didn't know, you know, and that people were able to be empathetic and and help them, (laughs) you know, otherwise you probably wouldn't be there. So yeah, man, that's that's great. I love it. Got to remember where you started. Yes. So you kind of touched on this, but what is like your mission and why exactly are you doing what you're doing now? What is your, if you were going to say your mission is what exactly you're aiming at? I guess if I had to define it, um, it would be, For as many people to hear why it's so important to, like I said, to purchase those self-defense tools, to seek the training and extensive training. You know, basic firearm class is amazing for a first step, all right? But we need to know a lot more than how to load a firearm without, you know, shooting ourselves. You know, there's a lot more to learn on how to, you know, really go through tactical training, concealed carry training, you know, CQB, defensive shooting, all of that situational awareness, it's huge. Learning how like home defense um, types of training and things like that. So for me, I mean, I'm not somebody who, I have to be honest, I don't walk around saying, you know, this is my mission in life. But if I had to choose one, it would be to keep training people and educating people and being in seminars. Because seminars, I mean, you can train 10 people at a time, but you can have 150 people in a seminar who all get to hear and leave. And maybe they don't seek training from me because it's hundreds of people, but they seek it somewhere. And that's all I care about is that that what I have said has resonated with you, you know, with you personally or thinking about your wife or your girlfriend or whoever and being committed Mm -hmm. to saying, hey, we're going to get her trained. You know what I'm saying? We're going to you know, make sure that the mother of my children can protect them when I'm not around, you know, making sure my girlfriend can protect herself when I'm not around because it it falls on us personally. You know, it's not, it's not on somebody else because there's nobody else in this world that I'm with 24 seven. And so that for me is if I had a mission, I would say that that would be it is to keep these interviews are really impactful. You know, I know I did an interview a little over a month ago and the last I heard, there's like over 75,000 people that have heard it, you know? And so I get messages all the time from people saying, Hey, my 16 year old daughter and I watched your interview together. She wants to carry a firearm, but you can't in our state until you're 21. What do you recommend? You know? And so we have those conversations and my only hope is that there's a lot of people out there that don't have to go through what I did because they hear what I went through and they take yeah. the steps that I never took. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I didn't take the steps until after. And so if I can reach people and, and convince people to seek that training ahead of time, then what I went through for seven hours was worth it. It really was. I mean, if, if, I can, if I can encourage thousands and thousands of other people to take the steps to save their life, I'd do it again. I really would. This is a big statement. 
that's a huge statement and I commend you. That's, you know, that's definitely, it's a perspective that uh, only the strongest people can have. You know, I have no idea what you've, what you've gone through and nor can I really fathom it, but that's a decision I've made about all the trauma I've been through and how hard that was. And I, 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 I don't have anything to compare to what you've been through. So I, I really compare, I really appreciate and, and commend you for that statement. And then though, in that perspective, you know, then I'm just glad that someone with your character did that, you know, walk through that because the world's a better place for it. You know, uh, with regards to what you said about the training. Yeah. I get asked like every single week, people are like, yo, what guns should I get, man? And I'm like, homie, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yo, what, you know, and they're throwing all these types and models. And I'm like, get good training. Most companies make decent guns. Okay. Like it works. It's going to work. It's like dating, shoot a bunch of them. Maybe see what you like, but you're not even going to know what you really like. You know what I mean? Until you shot about a thousand rounds through yeah. it. Then you're going to kind of be like, you know, actually I shot that one better. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll pick up on it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, interestingly enough, I read something the other day that yes. an instructor had said, and he said something like, rather than purchase a $1,500 gun, why don't we buy a $500 gun and seek out a thousand dollars worth of training? Done. And you know, that's, that's a no brainer. You know, it does the gun go yeah. bang. Yeah. A $500 gun is going to go bang. Now let's spend the other thousand on all the training we need to get to make sure <laughs> that you can properly use that firearm in any scenario. Yeah. A hundred percent. I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. That's the, that's the whole gospel right. of this thing right here. All yeah. right, you guys focus mm-hmm. on your training and be yes. careful because there are a lot of kind of imposters out there. There are a lot of like, cool kids out there. Make sure you're training from someone who has a good pedigree. Um, I think that's very important because I have seen and I've reposted some things people are training people to do that are dangerous. Um, so make sure you have a, a, a trainer that has a good pedigree that is well-known and respected. That'd be my two cents too. So yeah. go ahead. No, I just say good certifications. You know, make sure they, yeah. they're, you know, that the, they either have extensive experience like you do or they have really good certifications from good organizations. Heck yeah. What would you say would be uh, good certifications, good organizations? What do you hold? Things like that. So I'm an NRA certified instructor, but I'm also United States Concealed Carry Association certified instructor. Um, the majority of classes that I teach are USCCA classes. Um, I love the content of them. It's very, 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 very thorough. It goes beyond you know, basic firearm and things like that. We taught, we do a lot of home defense training. There's so many things that you can do to your house to fortify it and make it even harder for an intruder to break in. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously we do concealed carry training. They talk about uh, me as a certified instructor and being certified through the USCCA. You know, I'm certified to talk about things like the legal aftermath of what happens once you have to defend yourself. Um, I just got certified in countering the mass shooter threat, which is huge. And it's really, really important for businesses, in my opinion, um, to seek this training and to understand a lot more of how to react if ever you have a situation like that. Um, uh, no, it's run, hide, fight, <laughs> right? It's just run, hide, fight, right? That's what I but, <laughs> but it's also understanding that, you know, the probability it's understanding, yeah. you know, how many, how many rounds we can get off in so many minutes, the police response time, understanding the effect that having, you know, one to four brave souls 
you know, to counteract, even if they, even if they don't have a firearm to counteract this mass shooter, how many lives it can save. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's something that's very important, but I really, really love the, the content that is included with the United States Concealed Carry Association trainings. It's very, very thorough. And, and I, I have nothing but solid praise for the organization and any student that I ever teach a USCCA course to, they they recommend it so highly afterwards to people that they know they love and they care about because they really feel like, wow, this was a lot more than a basic firearm training. Nice. Mm-hmm. Female carry. So what should Ooh. female, well, like, like how do we approach the getting, you know, your girlfriend, your mom, like uh, your wife, how do you approach getting a woman to carry a firearm? What should women carry, women carry? Is it different? How do we approach this whole, this whole thing? Women as well as men need to carry what you are comfortable carrying, all right? So I get asked that question all the time. Semi-automatic, revolver, what caliber? I say what we're comfortable carrying. So before I purchased my first firearm, I went to the range and I rented several to choose from. I went out on the range. I tried different calibers, different sizes. So my hands... Yeah, my instructor, I, so after this incident happened, I hired an instructor and I did private one-on-one training for two months. I mean, I went yes. through every level of tactical, CQB, right. learn how to shoot from under a car, reposition your body where you can take out an ankle or do a center mass shot, you know, under a vehicle, yeah. all this stuff. Well, he was a very big guy. He was a defense mm-hmm. contractor, ex-Marine, two, six foot four. So I had trained on all of his firearms. So once I went to the range and I looked at smaller firearms, I didn't shoot as well with them. They didn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. to me. It wasn't what I was used to. And so for me, I would rather carry a larger firearm. I mean, for Mm -hmm. several reasons, once recoil and all those things too, larger magazines, but it's also what I shoot the best with. And so I was training a lady and it was a private class I was doing for a group of friends And, you know, she was just really feeling pressure for a nine millimeter. You know, that's what her friends were talking her into and all of that. And she wanted a 22. Social pressure. Okay. Right. And she, and so we shot with both and you know what? She was dead on with her 22. You put a nine millimeter in her hand. And I said, listen, exactly. I said, listen, a few rounds right where we want them with a 22 is that's what's going to get the job done. So I always say whatever you feel most comfortable with and also whatever you feel most comfortable carrying. Because if you have a firearm that you feel is too big for you and so you're not going to carry it, you're going to leave it at home or leave it in your vehicle, then it does you no good. Me personally, I carry a Glock 19. That's that's mm-hmm. my my carry choice, my everyday carry. So what I'm comfortable with, it's it's, it's a perfect handgun. <laughs> it's, I love it. I do. I love it. Right. It's reliable. Um, I'm comfortable carrying it. But I understand not everybody is. And so, just like a revolver, a lot of people ask me. A lot of women ask me about that. Well, because because we had, there's this thing in the firearms industry when you see, I know they do it in gun mm-hmm. shops when they see the woman come in and she's like, I need a gun. They get out all the revolvers from the back and they're like, it's simple. You can depend on it. They got their right. spiel. They try to offload the revolvers on them. <laughs> well, it's, and like I said, it's always a personal choice. And, and yeah. if, you're, if you are going to either not carry anything or carry a revolver, yeah. carry a revolver. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Me personally, I'll never carry a revolver. I won't. Yeah, um, but in my yeah. opinion, bad, bad guys run in groups. They run in twos. You know, if somebody's going to break into my house tonight, it's probably going to be more than one. All I don't right. feel comfortable having six rounds. And I don't feel comfortable the way I would have to reload that. It's just right. my personal opinion. I don't, I don't think that for me personally, I shoot much better with a semi-automatic 
what I find with women they're most concerned about are malfunctions. I get it. Yeah. Guess what? It's training. It's training. I yeah. can train you to overcome every single malfunction possible. You know what I'm saying? That's just training that we have to do. But like I said, I don't steer people one way or another. I just, when they ask questions, I answer them. And then I, you have to make your own decision. And I would say for, for men thinking about their ladies, yeah. don't just buy her a firearm for Christmas. Take her to the range. Make a date rent, out of it. Right. Rent all of the available options. Let's see what she's most comfortable with. You see what I'm saying? And then buy her that one. Because if she's not comfortable with it, she's not going to carry it. Or she's yes. going to carry it and not feel confident using it when the moment comes, which is the worst thing that we could have. Yeah, 100%. No, it's just back to the dating question. You just got to keep dating them. <laughs> you just got to take <laughs> her out. Until you find the right one. Try them out until you find the right one. You know, there's no rush. There's Eventually. no rush. Just keep on. Make sure you have one. You always have one. <laughs> Maybe a couple. You know, and, you know, just have some. Anyways, so. Or you can be like, uh, you just do your research first. <laughs> you can do, yeah, exactly. You, you can know. be like, no, 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 no. Yes. Let's go on a date with that one. Let's try this firearm okay. out. <laughs> That's what's up. I dig it. No, so do your homework. Mm-hmm. Get your experiences. Yeah. Uh, don't just try to be like, this is my favorite gun. I'm going to go and get her one of these and think that it's going to be good. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it, it doesn't need to be your idea, you know, like mm-hmm. what she should carry as long as it's effective, efficient, and effective. I think we're in the right place here. In fact, it's better if you can get her to take some ownership of it. Like I picked this one will probably be a longer lasting decision rather than my husband wants me to carry this stinking thing around and it's taking up room in my real estate in my purse or in my world mm-hmm. somewhere. Right. Uh, Cause it's, it's not comfortable really carrying a gun. Like I carry a gun every single day. You know, and it's like, I'm always, I'm, I'm always aware of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I trust my gear, but it's always something that's like, it takes discipline, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. it's something you want to be their idea. I think, what would you say about, um, carrying a weapon? I'm going to ask you a lot of, I'm going to ask you a lot of female centric questions yeah. because I'm curious about it. The I'm trying to figure it. out, I'm trying to get into this world and you are the, you know, spokesperson in here. Um, so yeah, don't take that personally. Sometimes they'd be like, why are you asking me all girl questions? I'm like, cause you're a girl. I got a million guys yeah. to talk to, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so the carry situation on mm-hmm. body, off body, do you just flip back and forth depending on the threat level of what you're doing? Uh, is there a certain brands and things you guys, you use that you can mention? Um, me personally, this is just yes. personal. Uh, I open carry when I work yeah, and, um, I conceal carry when I go out, you know, if I got yeah. to dinner or, or whatever it may be, heading over to a friend's house, I conceal carry. Um, that's my comfort level. There are times, uh, I live in a city that is FBI statistically quite dangerous and I live downtown by myself. So there are times where I will reholster so that I can be open carrying when I get to my parking garage at night, or if I have to stop at the gas station on the way home, which I try to avoid. I prefer yeah. to always stop when it's daylight out. Let's not stop downtown after hours, but sometimes things just come up yeah. and you know, you're coming back from training somebody very late in another part of the state. And so mm-hmm. I, will, I will reholster depending on the environment that I'm in. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I, <laughs> I've, had, I've had some interesting conversations about that recently with some okay. of some people that I work with. Uh, one gentleman is, he is a retired DEA agent of 23 years and he's a firearm wow. instructor now. And he said, 
like you're open carrying some places now, like outside of ranges. And because yeah. typically as a firearm instructor, historically, we always advise people to conceal. The yeah. reason being in the, you know, the off incident that you happen to stop into the wrong gas station and somebody comes in to rob it. Well, guess who they're taking out first? The person with a firearm on their hip, right? Right. You're right. The, their biggest threat. Mm-hmm. Because of some of the areas that I travel to, I personally, and because I know a lot of what happens because of what I do for a living, you know, I, mm-hmm. I partner with a lot of people on SWAT teams and sheriff's departments and things like that. I know a lot of the crime that goes down that never hits the news. And so yeah. being a woman and knowing the crime in the area that I live, yeah. I personally feel like it is less likely that I'm going to stop into a gas station, you know, in the mm-hmm. same three minutes that it's going to get robbed, you know, versus... I stop, I, I stop and I get out of my vehicle somewhere and somebody sees a female, somebody sees mm-hmm. a potential victim. Well, guess what? If I have a Glock 19 on my hip, you're going to pick somebody else. You see what I'm saying? If I am situationally yeah. aware, yeah. if I'm confident, if I have a firearm on my hip, you're probably going to pick somebody else to hold a knife to or whatever, um, or to rob or to take or whatever it is. So that's why if I'm in certain areas where I feel unsafe, um, I will actually reholster in that area until I get home. Now, I'm a woman. I came from a fashion industry. I like to yeah. wear cute dresses and shorts yeah. and all the stuff when I go out. And I don't necessarily want a Glock 19 on my hip, but it will always be in my bag, you know, and, and I will have it positioned in a way. I did concealed carry training years ago after this happened. So I did training on, you know, how to hide it under a jacket and access it quickly, how to access it quickly from a firearm, where to clip it and things like, or I'm sorry, from a handbag and where to clip it and things like that. So I typically will have it in a, in a bag when I'm going out, but I'm yeah. very situationally aware yeah. um, because I understand it's going to take me a little longer to access it from a bag than it is if it was on my hip. Um, So that's why I'm even more aware. And if it's in my bag and I'm in an uncomfortable situation or for some reason I'm wearing a dress and I can't reholster when I get home, I pull into my parking garage, my my hand is on my firearm inside my bag when I'm walking. You know, if it's late at night when I'm walking to get into the building and things like that. So there's there's not not 100% in my opinion, just my personal opinion, way that you should carry every single day and every hour of the day. For me personally, it's, it's situational in how I carry. Yeah. Which I think is, is really, that's just the, that that's always the wisest situation dictates tactics is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? It's always tends to be the most diligent answer. The exposed carry is very interesting. Cause it's like, you're leaning, you're just basically leveraging more deterrence. That's not something I've heard actually really much at all really um but i like that you're being very specific in when you do it you know you're not going to pry house parties with an exposed carry you know uh you're like i'm gonna be by myself i'm going to go into a situation that might have an increased threat level um and so i'm gonna keep an eye open and i'm gonna expose my weapon so they pick different prey which is that's the whole kind of deterrence the deterrence thing that's the way of utilizing it um i think that's fantastic and the reality is you need to know how to do both and mentioning that you realize that your draw is going to be slower coming from within your bag or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. and, and putting your gun on your holster. This, yeah. the, the, the weapon is the tool, but mm-hmm. what I feel like you're really talking about and showing is uh, a mindset that mm-hmm. keeps you prepared and makes you a harder target. And that is something I've been trying to get people to understand is really where the battles fought and won. Like, 
you can be victimized. You probably will lose because of a mindset issue long before your hardware or any of that stuff. It's going to be that that predator got the drop on you because of tactics and mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. And I firmly no, I, believe I, that. I totally dig that. I think if somebody's going to rob somebody, yeah. a woman that is confident and situationally aware, yeah. my personal opinion, I feel like I'm less likely to be the victim than a man right. that's staring at his iPhone <clears throat> walking to his car. If you're just, if you're only seeking to rob, right, if you're seeking to rob somebody, you're going to pick him over me. I can guarantee that. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm right. not that if you, Especially if you look at the person. They're going like, to see, I you're, see you're, you're you. Never, and you're kind of like a little weird right. about them. And then they're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go the other way. Yeah, she's uh, on it's, a, it's just human nature. Yeah, exactly. It's human nature. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think you said that's really important is you got one-on-one training because uh, I know a lot of people that'll just go through a course and they're like oh yeah I went through a course and like I'm good and we kind of talked about this at the beginning <laughs> but I I, sh- I run a lot of people through my guys out here artifacts um, and and because they offer one-on-one training and people are mm-hmm. constantly like hey you know what do I do I want to become affectatious with this firearm and I'm like yo you need to like, like the same way you would learn how to work out and get a physical trainer for a few months, to like learn the way of working out. Like that's essentially what you need to do to, to really become intimate with this weapon system and what it oh. can do. Well, um, and like and you said, like right there, you know, right. Sorry to interrupt, but when you said working out, yeah. it's also yeah. one of those things you can work out for months and, and get a great physique and be in great shape and then not work out for a year and you're going to lose it. Yeah. So a lot of questions I get now with, with ammo shortages and things like that is, you know, about training. You know, this once again, just yeah. a personal, my personal opinion as an instructor is, hey, right. I would rather you be in the range every week or two and only shoot 50 to 100 rounds than right. come in every three months and do four hours. Does that make sense? So it, it's, I think of it as a workout, you know what I mean? Right. Like. You know, like let's let's just do it more often. And I understand the ammo situation right now, so we're just going to use you know, or even dry firing. Dry firing is very effective as well. Absolutely. But just making sure we're keeping up our training, and even once you go through, like you said, a basic firearm. Okay, that's a great step one. There's a lot more to do. But even mm-hmm. after we go through a defensive shooting fundamentals and a concealed carry mm-hmm. course and all of that, we still have to keep on it. You know, it's a muscle memory that has to be retained. Um, mm-hmm. It's not. It's not necessarily like riding a bike. You know, there's a lot. And people have to remember when the incident actually goes down because of what's happening in you physiologically, you're going to be maybe 60% of your best day. You know, just your dexterity and all of those things. (laughs) Your vision is going to be off. So Mm -hmm. we've got to be amazing on our best day so that I know when I'm 60% of my best day, I'm still effective. That makes sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's like, for me, you know, that's why I shoot the shooting competitions on the weekends. And mm-hmm. every week I try to do something with that firearm. Cause it is not like you said it perfect. Mm-hmm. It's not like riding a bike. It's not. Like you don't do this for a while and right. you get back out on the range and you think you're the, you're the once upon a time guy. Mm-hmm. And now you're getting burned down. Everyone knows, you, 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 and, and it's embarrassing and it's dishonoring, you know? And I, like, even now as a private security mm-hmm. professional, I have to like pay guys to go to the range with mm-hmm. me sometimes, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of sad. I'm like, guys, you got to get out of here. You carry a gun every single day. What are you going to do if something happens? Um, and I just, I just, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I, I, I wish people would get out and actually, realize the value of the training because it's so perishable. I don't care what forces you was in. 
It's so perishable. And the first time I went out to a competition, there was like a 14 year old girl smoke checking me all over the place. (laughs) And that's like, she's been my motivation the whole, since that day, I was like, that day, I'm never going to lose to a 14 year old girl again. Like this just can't happen ever. Like, like it can happen, but like, I'm at least, it can happen if I'm doing my best to beat her. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's fine. But just thinking I'm cool and then getting smoke checked, unacceptable. Not acceptable. Uh, no, that's interesting. Uh, ra- what would you say about round in chamber and round not in chamber carries? You know, like I get people so mm-hmm. about yep. What would you say about it? I don't want to. <laughs> Once again, I am always going to err on the side of what people are most comfortable with. A hundred percent. So diplomatic. I, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's it's true because if you're not comfortable, yeah. then you are either going to do something that's dangerous. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Or you're not going to carry it. Me personally, round in the chamber. Because I yeah. understand from life experience, like you do, although it's a different experience. You have military right. experience. I have a different situation. Mm-hmm. I know that seconds count. I know that split yeah. seconds count. Split seconds. And yeah. so Boom. like this, you have to make that decision. And even though I can you know, do it really fast, I don't want that extra time of having to. Does that, does that make sense? It's already 100%. going to take time for me to unholster or to Just pull it from my handbag, right? Everything <laughs> to, to get my sights aligned, all of that. I do yeah. not need the extra second of chambering around. I don't. Yeah. Um, I understand the fear of it. And that's why I try and remind myself. We talked earlier about where you remember your roots. I remember right. that feeling having a, buying a Glock 19. And I remember it doesn't have a traditional safety. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a trigger safety, but it doesn't have a traditional safety. And so when I first carried it, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable carrying around in the chamber. I didn't. And I always say, if you're not comfortable with something that that's something that you probably should be doing, it's more training, you know, it's yeah. more practice and let's get the there. medicine is more training. It's always going to be more training. That's what's going to build your confidence. But it's, I mean, it's been years now and I would, I would never not have around in the chamber personally. Good. Okay. I mean, not but the answer is more training. <laughs> train yourself training. to yeah, it's the train the yourself is to feel tra- confident. Period. Yes. You know, if you're 100%. not confident, then you know, we gotta do some more training. And 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 I tell people that honestly, I do. I don't pressure people into carrying. I pressure mm. people to get more training. But yes. I personally think if if somebody, man or woman, is uncomfortable carrying a firearm, then I don't think that they should because they're not ready. Right. But I always say, too, it's not all or none. You don't have to be a sitting duck. It's not firearm or nothing. There is a lot of other self-defense tools, you know, things as small as pepper spray. I personally think a knife in your front pocket as a woman is one of the best self-defense tools that you can have, my personal opinion, because that you can you can hide that easily. You know what I mean? You don't feel like you're carrying anything. And unfortunately, a lot of women are not situationally aware. So you're caught off guard and their hands are already on you. But you can usually wiggle. I can wiggle one arm or one hand free, and that guy has no idea what you're doing. Does he think somebody even afraid of you? Does he think I'm going to be pulling a knife out of my pocket and know how to use it? No. So for me, that's one of the best self defense tools out there. But my point is, there's other options that we can carry until we get you trained to where you're confident carrying a firearm. It's not all or none. You know, don't go out there just with nothing until you carry your firearm. Arm yourself with something. 
and get training for that, you know, even a knife, you know, people need to understand, I need to learn how to use it, both be able to open it quickly, access it quickly, but also I need to know how to actually use it, you know, in a defensive manner. Yeah. And the thing is about knife fighting, there's guys that I study with now, like Scott Babb and Ed Calderon. And it's like, listen, you know, they teach people with various backgrounds in prisons how to kill people with knives and inside of days. Right now, knife fighting, the evolution of knife fighting is happening in prison. It's not happening in a dojo anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing about knives that people don't realize is it's a crude weapon. And if you can understand very quickly how to integrate it into your defense uh, tactics, and it can be extremely effective it's it's extremely effective it's scary how effective it is i actually might be more afraid of someone holding a knife than holding a gun most of the time just because i understand how difficult it can be to really be effective with a gun um uh and a knife is is they can be on you in seconds um and it's just more visceral it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um what would you say cultural let's get into cultural considerations around violence and carrying a gun and even, even the aftermath of, of these types of things. Cultural meaning. Yeah. Like black, white, uh, or even male, female, um, what kind of things have you seen or experienced that you think are significant in our world now around carrying a weapon or engaging in violence or combat? Well, for me, what I see is that some people feel more uncomfortable. I think that they may have a preconceived notion that would be, it may be less acceptable for them to yeah. carry and to seek the training. And I just want to let everybody know that that's, that's not the case that, you know, mm-hmm. if you are going out and purchasing a firearm and getting a background check and seeking training and going to a range and getting, you know, a certified instructor to instruct you, you're responsibly armed American. You are welcome. And I want people to feel that way and to, and to believe that. And I, I know that not everybody does. And, you know, I would be lying to say that there's times where I don't see that, that vulnerability or that uncomfortableness. I don't know that I could properly speak to it because I am a woman, but I'm not a minority. You know what I'm saying? And I think that I know people personally that would be great people to ask, you know, who, who are a minority and they work in the fire ministry and things like that. And so they would have personal experiences that I don't have, um, because I'm not. And so I don't, I don't want to speak to somebody else's challenges or, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to, I don't want to try and right to interpret what they might be feeling. I just know just from, from a few side conversations that I I've, I've heard from people that I have instructed or given a seminar to or whatever that, Mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes there's, there's an uncomfortableness just like as a woman, there's an uncomfortableness to walk in and feel like, am am I going to be accepted? Are people going to look at me like, what are you doing here? And I understand, I think that's even greater sometimes um, for other people, much more so than even just a woman. I think that I understand that, um, Mm -hmm. that the uncomfortableness and, and will I be accepted in this realm? But I want to sort of just say from my experience that, that, you know, everybody is embraced from what I have seen, my personal experience in ranges, people seeking out information and education and training. You're always going to be embraced. You're always going to be. And like I said, all I ever want people to feel is that I don't care what you are. I don't care yeah. what color your skin is. I don't care your sexual orientation. I don't care your gender. I don't care your political beliefs. I don't care any of that. You as a human being 
deserve to have the training and the education and the tools to defend your life and the life of those that you love, Mm -hmm. period. And for me, that's just, that's just the way it is, period. You, that's why I say, and that's why I try and, you know, it's funny because my Instagram page, you know, sometimes people go, oh, you know, fashion and firearms or whatever. Like, that's not the point. The point is, is that I am who I am. You know, and I want right. you to be. I want you to be who you are, and With you to be who you yeah. are. You yeah. dress, dress however you want, talk however you want, listen to whatever music you want. I don't care. I do not right. care. I want to right. train you because you are worth saving. We all are, you know. Yeah. And so, I never want anybody to ever have to beg for their life for seven hours like I did. I don't ever want that for anybody. Yeah. So, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your views are. What your religion is, you know. Mm follow me, come see me, call me, whatever, you know, if I can't get to where you are, I will find somebody who can, you know, that will mm. train you. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I agree hundred percent. Be whoever you're going to be with mm-hmm. the ability to protect yourself, right. you know, and that's what I'm, you know, with the protector nation and all this stuff I'm putting down. I'm, I'm all about that. Right. Um, I guess, yeah, being a black man uh, <laughs> in the firearms industry, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, I will say for sure, you know, I'm usually like one of the only people, black dudes on the range, but I'm ultra, like, I don't, like, I I just really don't care what people think about me. I just, uh, it's a gift from God. But you definitely, like, when I see another brother on the range, I'm like, yo, what's up? <laughs> and he's like, they're usually black dudes, get it? Like, we, you know, yeah. we get on the black hand side on, all automatically, but... Sometimes they're like, do I know you? I'm like, it doesn't matter, dog. <laughs> you know, we're like, on the range. Yeah, yeah, we're on the range, finally. Yeah. You know, so. It, well, you might be better to answer that question. Yeah. I mean, do, have you ever had experiences where you feel like you haven't felt welcome or? Oh, no. Yeah, lots of good. Lots of just people being glad that I'm there trying to get better and trying to do better. Um, never any kind of any kind of like racial tension or anything like that it's very funny uh let's see like the almost you know they, like competition maybe <laughs> but that's what we're there to do you know like right i'll crack a joke to another bl- brother if i see him on the range like hey bro you got to go over there because i'm like the token guy for this <laughs> area <laughs> you know what i'm saying don't outshoot yeah. me bro this was my hood long before you came over here you know we do that stuff yeah. but yeah um no it's always been everyone's glad that you're just trying to be safe and responsible, you know, and that is, and that's the culture. That's really the culture, you know, it's it's, it's really the culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I can, I can, uh, I can agree with you more on that. And um, even when I've had contact with law enforcement and I've been carrying a weapon and I'm like, Hey, I'm a lawful CCW owner, you know, and I'm doing things correctly. um, You know, I'm, 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 making it extremely clear to them that I'm not a threat, you know? So they approach the vehicle, you know, I'm showing them my hands, my hands are outside the vehicle. Hey, sir, you know, officer on a private security company, I'm a lawful CCW owner or before I own a private security company, sir, just want to give you a heads up. I do have a weapon. I'm a CCW owner. Da, 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 da. Or when they come up, I'll have my driver's license and my CCW up on the steering wheel so they can see my hands. Um, but even that moving around in the car can be weird sometimes. So it depends on the situation. Sometimes just give them the hands, you know? Um, and they're usually relieved. I think having a CCW has gotten me out of a ticket before. <laughs> they're like, how'd you get this? Like, you must be generally a pretty law-abiding guy to be able to get this and maintain it. Uh-huh. I read a study that said CCW owners are actually amongst the most law-abiding uh, demographic mm-hmm. because 
they work so hard to get the licenses that they don't, they don't want to lose. So it was an interesting uh, little piece of information. Well, I think that they appreciate the forthcoming. So depending on the state that you live in, some states require yeah. that you tell a police officer and some states do not require it. I live in a state that doesn't require it. People ask me a lot of times when I'm training and in seminars what I recommend. Once again, it's a personal mm-hmm. choice. However, for me personally, I prefer to let the officer know. I have respect for them, you know, right. and I think that it's fair to let them know there's a firearm in the vehicle. But I'm like you. My, my CCW permit is right next to my driver's license, right next to my insurance card, all in my wallet mm-hmm. together. You know what I mean? I don't want yeah. to be, you know, even as, as, as a petite right. woman who they might not be, you know, you know just fearful of or whatever, I still want to respect the fact that I have a firearm in my vehicle and maybe more than one. And so I just think that it's just smart to say, have everything ready. Here you go. Ten and two, you know, and I let them know where it's located. And so that's just my personal practice. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, in my state, you're not required to, but I do think that they appreciate that respect that you're giving them. Right. I've just, you know, showing them your CCW permit, telling them where the mm-hmm. firearm is. And normally that probably does get you out of a ticket or two. <laughs> just the honesty yeah, alone. Yeah, because you're you know? sliding that respect across the table. It's like, yeah, yeah you have a job to do. Like, hey, yeah. this is the situation. And that's yeah. like a breath of fresh air. And yeah. it's tactical. Like I'm tactically de-escalating the situation as well. Like I'm exactly. purposefully uh, using social dynamics to de-escalate. Um, and with me... You know, there's definitely a degree of there's all I've seen very often a degree of fear, you know, that I've had to deal with, you know, and uh, them being I fearful of that. you, they're being fear. Oh, yeah, your absolutely. size and everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. And so, especially if I'm in an area where the gangsters happen to be black, you know, what I mean, like I don't take that as a racist thing, I take that as a situational thing because my background is, you know, I had to do it like I was in Iraq, and when I saw you know, uh, when I saw Arabs in man dresses and the, and wearing their, their traditional garb, I should say, I was mm-hmm. like, these guys are herding sheep. Yo, salam alaikum, Siddiqui, Ana Siddiqui. Like, we're cool. You know, like, chakamaku, makushi, safi dafi, we're cool. When I saw them wearing sweatsuits, tracksuits, and Adidas pants and, and, and jeans, I was like, we're going to fight because you walk in like a duck and you quack like a duck we're going to get into a fight. And it's not about the color of their skin. It's about, I'm going to go home. If I'm going to do everything I can to go home. And I have an to interesting be. Interesting perspective. I hadn't ever thought of that. That's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting coming from you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That you have, because I've experienced it with close friends, just my observation, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. it's one of those things where, I guess having experienced it for years, like you probably have, I have a great mm-hmm. friend, Marcus. He's a, he's a doctor in Houston. Mm-hmm. And, um, He's black. And, you know, when we would, when we would go out to lunch, he'd be in scrubs or if we would go to dinner and he'd be all dressed up, you know, there was never any second looks. Um, if we left the gym together or I used to run marathons, I used to run half marathons. If he would come support me in a half marathon and then we would go to lunch right afterwards, he would be dressed in gym clothes. He, you know, depending on where we were at, you know, there was a different, and I, and I noticed that, and I don't even think that he did because, you know, having lived it for so many years, um, but I noticed it and it always bothered me very, very much. I had, I had a lot of surgeries, um, just from some health, health things I've had for years. And I was in the hospital for a few days when I lived there and the nurse came in to check on me and she, Marcus had come to visit and he was sitting on the sofa 
and he was came yeah. from the gym. He come from the gym. He was a cool yeah. doctor. He was a cool doctor. Yeah, so he it had, sounds he like some, a pretty. He had some done, lines yeah. in his haircut. Yeah, and, okay, you know, came from okay. the gym, and so she did the biggest double take, like, like how's this? You know, and of course, I said, I don't want to say his last name on here, but of course, I said, yeah. oh, this is my one of my best friends, doctor, blah blah blah. And, and you could see oh. her be like, <laughs> right, you know. But it's yeah, interesting yeah. that you know, to your point, I mean. I had never thought of it like that. And that's an interesting perspective, um, a very mature one, you know, that, that you. you just said that, hey, yeah. you you have been through as well, you know, in your military experience, depending on how somebody was dressed, might might just be from your experience what the threat right. is, you know? And 100%. and so that's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting that you, guys, you have experienced that, you know, yeah. so you kind of understand that, hey, maybe depending on where I'm located at when I get pulled over or how yeah. I'm dressed and the fact that I'm, you know, a very large man who works out a lot, I could yep. be intimidating, you know, to yeah. a police officer. And you got to be, I just feel like you got to be realistic about it, you know, because that for me, you know, it's like guys that dress like that killed my friends, you know. And in a police officer's world, they can be dealing with all those same dynamics. And it's like you're sitting here and you're like, like, and for me to be effective in combat and for mm-hmm. everything else, I have to put myself in the other person's mind, yeah. you know? And so I'm always trying to do that. And with these encounters I've had with law enforcement, like I had a female police officer roll up on me one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I, that, what you were talking about, that compassion, right, is yeah, actually what right. got me through because she's like, you know, is Byron Rogers here? And I was like, Yes, ma'am, I'm Byron Rogers. She's like, get on the floor! Get on the floor! And I'm like what? totally being totally compliant and being totally relaxed and like talk, like just being as just compliant and relaxed as possible. But I understand that she's like flooding because I'm like twice her size and I'm right next right. to her and the type of call it was and like everything that's going on. And you right. know, I'm 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 playing the game because I need to. Well, and sometimes that's a great point you brought up that sometimes it's based on our personal experiences. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it after is. I was the, attacked and still dealing yeah. with all of, you know, the PTSD and trying to get through everything, yeah. public was very hard for me because yeah. every man was a threat, imagine. but especially yeah. a man of the, my attacker's size. Does that make sense? Yeah. Somebody who I somewhat resembled that person, mm. that is, that's just... You know, I, I'm not trying to, you know, look at a 230 or 30 pound, five pound man and, and making a preconceived judgment about him. It was just a trigger for me. It was a, yeah. hey, I had this experience and now I see this person and I'm terrified and I have no reason to be. So that's actually a great point. I had never thought of that, right. that like sometimes right. people aren't trying to, you know, to make judgments. It's based on right. what your experience was and you might not be over that experience, you know? 100%. And that's kind of what... On, I mean, not to make this all about race, but like, and that's the other thing, like you don't have a reason, but you do have a reason. Your subconscious mind, hundred million times more powerful information processor back here is like, we have a reason. Like, like you know I mean, to be afraid of this experiential piece of information. We have experiential uh, information around this uh, that is putting us on high alert, you know? So I, I, um, you know, and with the whole race, thing and all that stuff I just, it's my podcast I say what I want but uh I um I feel like our goal needs to be to give everyone positive experiences with each other and that's the that's the way to eradicate it like well like even when I am I've been mistreated before and I have made it difficult by giving them a positive experience um not that I speak for everyone but I just feel like 
that fear. And, you know, I had guys in the Marine Corps, you know, my brothers in the Marine Corps be like, man, you know, I used to be prejudiced growing up from Texas. And they're like, but I really didn't know no black dudes, man. You're pretty cool. You know, and I'm well, like, they're like, everybody was prejudiced. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, man. You know. Well, that's what I would say. Like, get, get everybody needs to get them a, a Marcus and not just one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Get your five, get your 10. That's how yeah. we, that's how we build bridges, you know? And that's why yeah. you know, people talk about Texas. But when I lived in Houston, I lived there mm-hmm. from like 2009 to 2015. It's amazing. Um, Houston is the most diverse city in the entire U.S., Really? And so, oh, hmm. I know. Shocking, right? Okay. More than New York City. It's also the restaurant okay. capital of the U.S. It has more restaurants. Really? It's amazing. Okay. Okay. But okay. I didn't have one friend from Houston. One. Uh-huh. I think I only had one or two friends from Texas. They were all over the U.S. Some are from other countries. Uh-huh. And so when you truly make friends with people, you know what I'm saying, right. that are you know different cultures, different ethnicities, all of those types of things – you learn from each other. And it's not that you're yeah. trying to, you know, do a Q&A or ask questions or whatever. It's just, it's just subtle observations. Bad. It's not a bad yeah. thing. It's not bad to yeah. have an open discussion, but it's, it's, just, it's just learning and observing and, and having conversations. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, we could go on this for hours, you know, which, which we won't right. do right now. Maybe, right. maybe later you and I can. Maybe but it's yes. true. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had just really interesting conversations with people that it's not something that you can read about and understand. It's not right. something that you can watch the news and understand. In my personal opinion, you got to really, oh, you got to really <laughs> make connections. News, yeah. I know, right. not on social media. You've got to make true connections with people, mm-hmm. true friendships with people, and then that's when all of a sudden you really start to realize you don't know everything, and neither do yeah. they. You know what I'm saying? It's when right. you start to really learn about each other, and you realize that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. We like really, anything. really are. Yeah. You know, we're all humans. We all have hearts. We all have brains. We all have souls. And we just all have different experiences. And when you can openly talk about those, just from my personal experience, that's mm-hmm. when you truly grow as a person. You, you know how to support your friends in the way that they need supported, you know, and vice versa. Yeah. So I always awesome. say, if, if, you, if that, none of this makes sense to you, then I would recommend that we go out and we all make us a bunch of friends that don't think mm-hmm. like us. Don't have yeah. to say religious beliefs don't look like us because that that will change your life. It will change yeah. who you are as a person. And, and that relationship being safe enough for them to challenge your truth is how you arrive at higher truth. And this yep. is what is so important. And it, mm-hmm. and then uh, before I get on a soapbox, that stuff that's it's, that's where the game's at. You know, no, no, no. Go put your truth out there and meet strong, intelligent people that can challenge it mm-hmm. and make sure you understand why you believe what you believe. You know, right. this is this is good stuff. Um, what would you say as we start to get into the last chapter, some of these questions? What would you say was your biggest takeaway from what you experienced? The the thing you walked away with that is. Uh, that you'd want to make sure everyone else understands? Honestly, the, the biggest yeah. thing is, um, well, I, I say, I honestly, I say there's two things. One of them, like I say, yeah. is, how, is how fast it goes down. And I understand yeah. that being able to hit a paper target is not enough. Yeah, you know what I mean? You cool. have to be Might able to, <laughs> right. Yeah. You can take the picture of it afterwards and post yeah, it on yeah. Facebook or whatever, God bless but you. <laughs> you've got to be able to be very tactically trained. You need to be able to access your firearm quickly, clear malfunction. If there happens to be one, you know, understand that, you know, my firearm instructor used to tie one arm behind my back 
So I'm right-handed. So he would like tie my right arm behind my back and make me be able to shoot with my left arm. I would have to drop a magazine, load a new one, chamber around everything with my left hand because he would say, Joanna, in real life, what if he gets to you? This guy was out. This guy was out for two years while I waited for this to go to trial. So there was a very high risk that he was going to come back. And the DA forewarned me. She said he might come back and make it to where you can't testify. So you know, my firearm instructor would say you could get injured in the incident. We need to prepare yeah. you for that. So for me, after having gone through it, that is why I understand why you need extensive training, and we need to keep training. That was number one. The other thing that I and this is probably the, this is what affected me the most. This was the most traumatic by far was being in a situation that you couldn't get out of and being told over and over and over that you were going to be killed. And I'm a pretty smart person and I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And so for me, that is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Worse, worse than any physical injuries from that day was that, And that's what I had to get therapy for. That's what I had to get EMDR therapy for because, and that's what my nightmares would be. It wouldn't be being attacked. It would be that, that, that moment of you're getting ready to, to be killed or be taken. And so that's what the recurring nightmares were. And that's because that's the worst part of it. And so for me, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching people situational awareness home defense types of fundamentals to make sure mm-hmm. let's make it to where they can't even get in our house or we make it so hard they give up. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They're like um, next house. Teaching people how to very, very, very quickly access their firearm because I don't want for anybody else, especially mm-hmm. anybody else that ever hears me talk or that I instruct or is that one of my seminars to ever have to go through that to actually right. not be fast enough or situationally aware enough. And now you are taken. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You are now, you don't have the ability to defend yourself or even worse, the people that you love. I mean, thank goodness right. I was a single woman. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have children or anybody that I, I loved that was in my home. I couldn't imagine if I was a mother or a father, you see what I'm saying? And because I just bought Absolutely a gun not. and I never got trained with it, or I didn't even have a firearm. And in that moment, you can't protect the people that you love more than yourself, you or know, they get your firearm, which happens. So for me, that, that is something that even to this day, not, mm. not in a, not in a painful way or, or a traumatic way, but it still sticks with me whenever I'm speaking to people. If I'm doing a, any kind of like PR engagement or an interview yeah. or a seminar or a class or instruction that sticks with me very, very, very much. Um, because when I say I truly care about every single person in the room, I mean it. I really, yeah. really do. And we, we talked about that from the get-go. That's just a natural yeah, part of me is I'm just cool. very, yeah. very empathetic. I have been that way for most of my life. But now, especially knowing that feeling, which is the worst feeling in the world. It was the worst. And I don't know if you ever experienced it, probably, with what you did in the military. But I don't want to ever feel it again. And I, I want to make sure yeah. that nobody who ever, yeah, yeah. you know, hears me or sees me speak or whatever, I want them to never have to go through with that ever. Cause it doesn't really ever leave you. I mean, you no, can get, the ther- you can get the therapy where you, you know, it doesn't affect you like it did, but I have that knowledge and that doesn't go away. See yeah. what I'm saying? I now know what it's 100%. going to feel like whether your plane's going down or mm-hmm. 
somebody is in your home getting ready to kill you, whatever it is, somebody kidnaps, mm-hmm. I know that feeling of I'm getting ready to die and it's not my time. And it's a terrible, terrible feeling. Yeah. So that's probably the that's probably I, I, the biggest thing that drives me. I would say so. I would say that that is probably the number one thing that I took from it because that's what drives me to keep making sure people hear this. That's interesting. I mean, because I always think liken it to the phoenix, you know, which I actually have. Yeah, I, I got it tattooed on my chest for that reason. But it's it's that flame, you know, that trauma for me mm-hmm. getting blown up. I got hit with 60 some pounds of homemade explosives directly and had a whole out of body experience, had a whole like death experience it was like, Oh, it was like kind of in another dimension came back by the grace of God. And, um, that feeling of sorrow, the deepest sorrow I've ever experienced in my entire life. When I was like, Oh my gosh, I was like father and I was talking to my dad and I was like looking at family members I was like I died like I'm a pile of guts on the floor in Iraq and I remember just being so the deepest sorrow I've ever experienced just being like I haven't even lived like it's over and I haven't even really like I, I'm like what am I 19 and I remember just being so vexed you know, like in here and uh that feeling drives me every single day because I know what it's going to feel like when it's time to die again. <laughs> you know, and I, I just, I don't want that to be the feeling. I don't want it to be like, I didn't do the best I could. I didn't uh, go as hard as I could. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, like, I, I don't want to even feel that again, you know? So I, um, it's interesting that you talk about your trauma and how that drives you. And it, I believe it's like a supernatural drive um, really because it's, it's like, you just, you've seen beyond and, and uh, some of us are stronger for having done that. That's, that's, that was awesome to hear. I had no idea you went through that. And I'm sorry, 19? Yeah, when I turned 19 in boot camp. So yeah, I went to Warren at 19 the first time. I'm sorry. I had no clue. We've never talked about that, that you, yeah. that's, but you're right. And, and I hope that one day when I'm old and, mm. you know, done my things or, or in a way where it's like, you know, you've had time to come to terms with it. You know, I'm hoping it doesn't feel that way. It's mm-hmm. just, I think it's probably, maybe it was the same for you as it was for me. It's that moment where life's being taken. Yeah. And it's not your time. Like, it's, it's like, I mean, and that's what it was for me. It's like, you know, I, I think I'm clever and I'm wise enough. You're and clever. I, I spent I the first <laughs> five hours, I spent the first five hours thinking through every single scenario on how to get out of there. Five hours. Yeah, just working the And working everything. Yeah, I think, okay, this has to happen. And then I can do this. And five hours later, I realized I can't get out. I can't. Everything I have Ugh. thought through isn't working. And, you know, Ugh. everybody has different beliefs. And, you know, I'm not saying. Yeah. Um, me personally, as a grown adult, I have struggled with yeah. religion. I, I yeah. always, I believe, I've always believed there's a God and mm-hmm. I definitely feel that I, I have struggled with organized religion as an adult. No, me and, too. 100%. And I, I, <laughs> I don't go to church for a lot of reasons, but I had just recently gotten back from a trip to Italy. I love to travel, mm. love to travel the world. And I had gone I to the Vatican when I was there. Mm. And so I had gotten this little charm while I was at the Vatican. It was sitting on my nightstand. Of course it was. And I saw <laughs> it. I saw it. And yeah. so about five hours in, I just gave up. And I just started praying, praying. profusely over and over mm-hmm. and over. And all I could even pray was, please don't let me die this way. Please don't let me die this way. Please don't, you know what I mean? Like, please mm-hmm. get me out of here. And I remember saying, 
please get me out of here because I can't figure out how, you know? And that was true. I could not, I have thought for five hours on how, and I couldn't figure it out. And so, you know, whatever you believe, I I mean, I'm not somebody who's, who's obviously been my whole life. I I couldn't quote the majority of scriptures in the Bible, but I can tell you that that day, I didn't get myself out. I didn't, or at least there was a, there was a, there was a higher something that created the opportunity and I saw the opportunity. And yeah. I think I and felt confident because I had prayed for two hours yeah. now. The last yeah. two hours I spent praying, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I saw it, I all of a sudden realized like this is it. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that's mm-hmm. my chance, you know? And, and I took it, uh-huh. but, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, that's, that's, that's the worst. And I hope that one day when it's our time years from now, Byron, that will, it'll be different. But I think that it is somebody else taking your time. It's a different feeling, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And, and not getting able to say goodbye and thinking about the people that you love and that love you mm-hmm. and to think what they would be left with. You know what I'm saying? Like having mm-hmm. to have known, yeah. How, oh, yeah. you know, all of those things yeah. for, are going through in your mind. And that's yeah, that yeah. Without, and for like, seven hours, I was just thinking about, you know, the people that I love, yeah. you know, my and you're sisters. you seeing and, all the paths and yeah. Right. And thinking not only am I never going to see them again, but this is how, this is what they're going to have to deal with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. living with if something like that happened to somebody that I love, you know? And so right. it's, um, yeah. So sorry, move by with a little bit of a rabbit feel. hole, but it, but it's, that no, is it's probably, a beautiful that's rabbit what, hole. that's yeah. what drives me. I think, I think that honestly, at the end of the day, that's what it is, is I, I know it, I have felt it, although I'm okay with it now. I wish I never right. knew it. And that knowledge and that feeling doesn't mm-hmm. go away. And I don't want anybody else to have to feel it. I don't want anybody else to have yeah. to experience that ever, you know, and cause they might not make it out. Yeah. They might not, they might not have yes. a little Vatican charm <laughs> sitting right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, I prayed and that's when I came back as well and get my body began to move as well. But that, what you talk about is that's fuel. That's some of the most amazing fuel. I think that we can be blessed with. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, favorite quote mantra saying, Oh goodness! They um, always leave your head whenever I ask this question. It's awesome. Do you what? Everybody always drops their head. <laughs> Everyone will know. They're all the quotes you know that you say. I know. Just go I'm away. Like, they're like. Well, I have a few that I like. I'm trying to okay, think. Um, see what you got? Yeah. I think Freud said something like, "Like out of your vulnerabilities, come or derive your greatest strength." Nice. Um, I like that. I like, I like quotes about courage. I know that, you know, Nelson Mandela talked about, you know, courage, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the um, triumph over it. I think that that's a good one. I think I like that the one about vulnerability because it's easy to not do things that scare us or that make us feel vulnerable. But my, the moments I have been most proud in my life or felt the most strong have been when I have I have put myself in a situation that I was, I felt very vulnerable or that I wasn't great at something. You know what I'm saying? I actually just recently went through my first jujitsu class and I was was terrified to take it. I I mean, terrified. And, um, I, I, I did extensive firearm training after, after my incident, I never did any kind of hand to hand combat. And I had uh, a an, an friend of mine say something to me about six weeks ago. And they said, you know, you have got to take some form of hand-to-hand combat. You know, I know you're very situation aware. I know all of that. But the reality is that 
enough encounters start hand to hand. You know what I mean, mm. we just have to understand that they start when they're right on you and you're doing yourself a disservice to not be exceptionally trained in both. Right. And I struggled with it because I dealt with my personal aftermath of the incidents several years ago. You know, mm. I would say the last year and a half or two years have been good. You know, I dealt with all of right. it prior to that. I was well aware that it was going to bring it back. You know what mm. I'm saying? To, to, yeah. to be pinned in positions like that and yeah, somebody, well, anything around, know. anything around my neck, anything having mm. me pinned down in any way. And I was terrified that I was going to freak out. You know what I'm saying? That it was going to bring it back and the PTSD would come back and that I would, you know, cry or freeze or whatever. And it's funny because I, I still refused to do it for like three or four weeks after this friend highly suggested it. And then it just yeah. dawned on me one day and I thought, Joanna, duh, if you're afraid, if you already know that you're probably going to freeze up, freak out, all the memories are going to flood back, then that's what's going to happen if ever a man gets you gets his, exactly. his hands on you again. So and why not deal with that? Right. Why not deal with that in a safe setting while yes. you're also learning the tools? So right. for me, that I felt very, very vulnerable. And I, um, I reached out, social media can be a great thing when, when yeah. you're connected with the right people. And I, I put something on my Instagram stories about it. And I had so many people recommend so many things. And mm-hmm. I had a recommendation for a training facility in Miami, actually, which is another state from okay. where I live, um, the Valente brothers. And okay. so somebody reached out to me and he said, I highly recommend Joaquin Valente. And he said, I I will give you his cell phone number. I'll let him know that you're going to be calling and I'll give him a heads up about your situation. And so he did. So I I spoke with my instructor prior to flying there and I I let him know I was terrified. He asked me what happened that day, which was hard. And then my first lesson was a private instruction, which was good because I was afraid I was going to freak out, you know, and I'd rather do that in a private setting where I can take a break if I need to. Yeah. And that day, he deliberately, he didn't tell me ahead of time, but he deliberately put me in every terrible situation that I was in that day almost four years ago. And I think he did it on purpose. I think he did it one to test my mental toughness and two to show me that me as a 110 pound girl can get out of every single one of those situations. He taught me a move. And I know there's a lot more. I need to learn a multitude of moves for for everyone. But he taught me a move to get out of every single one of those horrible situations that I was in that day. And, you know, he probably took it a little easy on me. I'm sure it was my first class. He's a strong guy and he didn't take it completely easily. Trust me. I mean, he definitely didn't take it. And so I left that class feeling stronger than I felt in a long time. Yeah, more empowered and stronger. It's beautiful. And it was that vulnerability of saying, hey, I'm going to do something that scares the crap out of me and make myself super vulnerable. And by doing it, oh my goodness. And now I'm hooked. The rebirth. That's the rebirth that happens. Yes. I I love jujitsu now. I think it's amazing. I think that everyone should learn it. Um, It's, Mm -hmm. and I can't believe I didn't do it years before, but I mean, it's just timing and and everything happens at the right time. So that's why I think vulnerability is important. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and and whatever it is in life, you know, if it's, you want to learn how to sing and you're not good, be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. 
That's yeah. how you get better, you know, yeah. whatever it is. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that's part of the alchemical process of getting better. Anybody who follows me, hears me talk about it in the morning. You've got to go and be vulnerable first and foremost with yourself in the crucible of get of in the crucibles of life. For me, many times it starts in the gym, but then that act of being vulnerable lets me know how strong I am, lets me know how weak I am at the same time. Yep. Self-confidence is just self-trust. And how do you trust yourself? You know yourself. And as you work on yourself and create yourself, uh, the things people say about you, uh, the results you may get from one endeavor, all of these things, they don't really matter because you know you're going somewhere, you're working on yourself and that vulnerability is, 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 is being replaced with capabilities and efficacy mm-hmm. and all these things. Um, so that's, that's that alchemical process that I'm like, I'm obsessed with. That's so good. Yeah. Vulnerability actually is strength, I think. It's the beginning of strength. Um, I think you're right. That's good stuff. Uh, one question I didn't catch that I wanted to make sure yeah. I asked you. Sure. After a violent encounter, say you do end up using your handgun in self-defense, what are the things that are possibly going to happen that you really yeah. need to be aware of? Like, how does this go down? Um, I do a lot of instruction yes. and uh, I give a lot of advice in, in my classes and my seminars on... Mm. You know, what to say to 911, what to say to the police when they show up. The most important advice I can give you when you are defending yourself, and Byron, I don't even mean just with a firearm. I mean anything. I mean pepper spray, a knife, your vehicle, your fist, anything. If you had Uh to defend yourself, you had better have an attorney present immediately. Immediately. What you say can and I promise you will be used against you. And people have to understand that because you, you think you're the good guy. <laughs> you're the good, yeah, you were there. You you know what went down, right? I was the good guy. I was defending myself. Well, here's the thing: the police weren't there. The DA definitely wasn't there. So definitely. look at how much you have to make a split second decision. Split second. All right. It will be looked at under a microscope time and time and time and time again afterwards we do it to police officers all the time why would we not we give we give them guns we pay them why would we not do that to civilians so when the cops show up just understand it's their job Mm -hmm. their job is to investigate a scene right Mm -hmm. yeah that means they're investigating you fyi so it's your natural instincts to i'm gonna explain it all away right byron I'm the yeah, I'm just going to tell him whatever. I'm, I'm, the, I'm blah, 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 blah. a good guy. I'm a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The worst possible thing that you can do for a couple of reasons. Right, One, okay. you, your physiological response to what just happened, you're not yeah. going to be good. Okay. You are okay. going to be just chattering like crazy, mm-hmm. saying a bunch of things. You need to have your self-defense story told, A, not the way you can tell it five to 10 minutes after you had, just had to save your own life. All right. You need days to process, but be also the way an attorney knows how to tell your self-defense side of the story that way it needs to be told. Does that make sense? And also there's a very well-known condition. It's called critical incident amnesia and people don't talk about it. There's a reason why officers and DEA agents and people like that, they're sequestered. All right. After an incident, they're not questioned right afterwards. Um, what happens is, is your memory is very fragmented because 
of what you just went through, right? Yeah, it's been an that, overhaul. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. And so it takes time for for the memory to come back properly. So what can happen is you can say something on your 911 call, which by the way is recorded, or when the police arrive, and then you can say something different days later when you're actually interviewed now that it's come together properly. And yeah. that can be held, that can't be held against you. And I've seen it. I've seen it in cases here where it has been held against people because the judge has said, your story changed. You're not a reliable witness. I lied to the police and I didn't mean to. So yeah. in my, my instance, clearly I was the victim. I was not capable of defending myself at that time. But after the police you know, swarmed the gas station, which is where I, I got to a gas station and borrowed their phone to call 911. That's how I escaped. And then yeah. they came to my house. So the location in my house where I told them the attack started was at my back door. That's what I remembered. I remembered being in my kitchen, looking up. Somebody was coming through my front door. Of course, Mm. you're caught off guard, right? Yeah. That guy has a plan. You're just in your kitchen. You know, I don't have a plan. So I, I very well remembered being at my back door and my, my hand was on the, the doorknob and I remember thinking I almost was so close to getting out and I didn't. And that's why I remember the attack started was very, very clearly at that back door. I remembered all of that. Um, yeah. And so that's why I told the police. That's what was in the police report. Yeah. I didn't remember for days. So I ended up, you know, left the state immediately that night. It was terrified that the person was going to come back and kill me. Um, you know, after I finished with the hospital and all those things. And I ended up flying to my sister's home in New York and I stayed with her for a while until this person was, was arrested. And it takes a few days for all the marks to come up, you know? Yeah. Float to the surface. For sure. And so I was, I was getting ready to get in the shower and I was just horrified looking at my body, you know what I'm saying? When everything at this point has come out a few days later and my back had been hurting very bad, um, like kind of the middle to lower part of my back. And I couldn't figure out why. And I thought I wasn't on the hospital report at all. You know, there's no pictures of that. And I looked in the mirror and I saw a very distinct bruise and that's what triggered it. So boom, that's what triggered. Oh, the attack started in the kitchen, but that first blow completely boom gone out of my brain it was gone until that happened and so that's something that's very common we do um there's a simulation course at one of my favorite ranges uh up in huntsville alabama it's a five-star range um it's called bullet and barrel and and then this class after they they have an attorney come in and speak it's kind of a use of force class and then there, there's an instructor and then i go in and i speak to the class and then we take everybody to a simulation range all right. And it's very awesome. real, real, real world experiences. They don't know what's going to happen, what's going to go down. Sometimes yeah. it's in parking lots. Sometimes it's in a garage. Sometimes it's in the house and they have to react. All right. Mm. They have to react and fire make this firearm, make a decision. Yeah. And, and it's, it's oof. And afterwards the instructor comes in as, a, as if he's a police officer and he questions the person who just went through the mm. incident. And this they already, some they, good, tra- some good trauma. This is good training. They're sitting there like, ah. Right. And they already, they've already been instructed, do not answer questions. Do not go down that rabbit hole. And half the people mm-hmm. will do it. Because the police are asking you so friendly. They're just trying to understand, right? 
You're not handcuffs. Yeah, they're just asking questions. You're the good guy. What do you got to hide? You know? That's that's kind of why, though. You know what I'm saying? If I yeah. don't put the bracelets on you yet, you don't think you need a lawyer up. So I'm just going to ask right. you questions. So anyway, but it's it's astonishing to me that typically 40 to 50% of the people right, at, right after the incident happened get a one or two key details wrong. I mean, huge mm. details wrong. Yeah. And that's not even real life. That's just from the trauma of them having to react in a simulation. They remember right. what just happened incorrectly. And yeah. so that is why I'm very passionate about helping people understand you need to be protected. You know, great job. You saved your life. That's what you're tra- that's what we train you to do or the life of your loved ones. Yeah. But now let's make sure, you know, that you save the rest of your life, you know, and yeah. don't go to jail for something because you spoke without an attorney present. You know, you didn't have somebody there protecting you and making sure that you're not asking questions and being interviewed 10 minutes after you had to save your own life, you know? So as far as the legal aftermath, that is what, um, I mean, I'm very passionate about and I, you know, I always tell people you need to make sure you need to seek out more information on this because an attorney is going to be my first call. I can promise you crucial, crucial call. If I ever have to defend myself ever. Yeah. That's what I've heard. That's that, but that was the best way I ever heard it. So mm-hmm. good to go. Good to know. I, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very important. What would you yeah. say? Uh, do you have a habit you'd like everyone to take on or consider maybe that makes you a better person or you think makes people better pr- protectors? Interesting. I would say, um, I don't know if this makes me a better person. It served me well. Yeah. That uh, I, I don't give up that make sense? I don't. I, I, I push through and, you know, here's what I will say. Anybody who's gone through something really difficult and you might be struggling right now, Mm -hmm. be patient with yourself, be forgiving of yourself. If you're judging yourself, then it's going to take that much longer, in my opinion, to get through it. But just know that there is a light on the other side, you know, try and do something every day to get you closer to that, to get you through it. Does that make sense? Do something for yourself. I don't care what it is. Make yourself a nice bath, read a book, write in a journal, go on a walk, you know, do something for yourself. But know this, I'm appreciative for every hard thing I've gone through in life, you know, and I've had my fair share of crap (laughs) because not only do, do I think it makes you a stronger a better, a more empathetic person, but it makes future challenges seem like nothing. Yes. It makes it so easy to to keep moving forward. So I'm very much a get shit done kind of person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's very few things that trip me up. Very, yeah. very few things. I mean, <laughs> that, that's not to say that I don't, I don't run into things on a daily basis, right. but I, they don't trip me up. You know, if yeah. I don't have the answer, I will find the answer. I'll be the first person to say, I don't just know. Keep on moving. I don't, I'm right. I don't yeah. know the answer, but I'm going to get it. We're going to keep going. Like that is one thing that I think is great about having lived, you know, any kind of, not even a tough overall life. Could, could be a tough life. Could be a tough incident. Yeah. Is that when you get through it and you see how strong you are and you realize the small things, how small they are that gives you this freedom freedom of, you know, just 
it's so easy now to just keep yeah. pushing forward and to be positive and not get hung up on yeah. the small things. And it's kind of a gift in a way. It's kind of yeah. a, you know, I don't wish that trauma on anybody, right. but right. it is nice. Even if you can just put it in perspective in your own mind, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just realize that, you know, life's a gift. Like you talked about, it's a gift. Yeah. And you try and you try and live that way every day. I try mm. and live every, every day as just, Whatever comes my way, you know, I just, I, I, will, I will always overcome it. I will always mm-hmm. push forward and I will always try. And maybe in that moment, it's hard to, to, to have a positive mindset, but I know it will come. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. And because you have perspective. Right. <laughs> No, you're right. Perspective is the perfect word for it. You know, it puts everything into perspective very quickly. So I would say that would be the one thing about me that, that is Mm. is as a result of this, of these things, but it has served me very well. It served me very, very well. Um, It's made me, you know, the last thing I think that people like you and I are have gone, gone through this is lazy you know, yeah. is you, you, you appreciate every moment of the day. You realize that your yeah. life is in your hands, your life and your destiny is a hundred percent in your hands. hundred yeah. percent. You yeah. know, the choices that we make, and even if you made a ton of bad ones and you're in a poopy position right now, like you can make a different choice tomorrow and the next day and the next day and rewrite sure. your whole story. Exactly. Start climbing out. Yeah. Right. You know, it's every day you can make a decision to go to go forward to a positive place does that make sense and to do 100%. something to to educate yourself more or or volunteer more or whatever just make yourself mm-hmm. better make your life better you know you can do it we all can yes yes progress equals happiness you gotta be careful i'm gonna end up preaching a whole sermon <laughs> with these things you're saying podcast you've ever done yeah it's gonna be like right mid, yeah, I midnight. Mean, you, yeah seriously you said it all so well and so perfect but those principles are so good even you know we got tactical stuff we got personal development stuff this has been a fantastic episode um and i couldn't agree with you more you know that progress equals happiness let your trauma give you perspective let let it uh it's this this let everything you experience make you stronger and even if you don't go through trauma You know, that what you said in the beginning, it never giving up. That's how you get that self-confidence. And that's how you find yourself. That's how you build yourself. That's how you stay acquainted with your inadequacies, which then shows you where to improve. But then you start to love what you're creating. It's like, that's how you be, you really create a person that you really can trust and care about and love and, 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 and stay progressive with. So it's, it's so much good stuff before I get all up on it. But uh, thank you so much for your time with me here today. Uh, Joanna, it's been amazing. I've learned so much. I've learned so much from you. And um, I just really can't wait to get this, this content out to everybody because it's it's good. It's good stuff. Where can people find you? What are you up to these days? And where can people find you? You can go to my website, VogueDefense.com. So V-O-G-U-E Defense. Um, you can find me on Instagram under Vogue Defense or LinkedIn under my name, which is Joanna Cloudbelter. Sweet. Perfect. All right. Once again, thanks so much for joining me, Joanne. And I will see you out there on the range or at one of these events or something like I'm that. I'm sure. For thanks, sure. Byron. It's been so much fun. Thank you. Outstanding. Talk soon. All right. Boom. 
Boom. Yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, You'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, Anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, That helps. That helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast out.